chapter number two, Mark chapter number two, and I would encourage you if you receive the bulletin this morning on the inside is a copy of the outline. You can follow along there in this tremendous passage that we're going to look at this morning, and I've entitled it, Bring a Friend, Bring a Friend, and God put this on my heart when I was thinking about next Sunday, but the reality is, is this is something that we should do every day, every week of our lives, is to try to help bring someone to the Lord, and uh, our theme this, this year is Choose out of the book of Joshua, and you know, it's a choice. Some of you are going to choose to bring someone, and, I, and let me encourage you that the, the thought there is friend, someone that you can be a friend to. And so we begin here in Mark chapter number two, beginning in verse number one, the Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house, and straightway many were gathered together in so much that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed. And glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning, for the word of God. Lord, speak to us this morning. And as you speak, may we not only hear, but may we obey. Lord, help us to be a friend to others the way you've been a friend to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. This portion we read this morning is the account of four men who brought their friend to Jesus. It took place in the city of Capernaum. Uh, we had the privilege of going to the Holy Land, and we were in the town of Capernaum. It was actually the home of Peter. You go there, and they still have the, some of the ruins of, uh, of the house of Peter, I remember not only seeing that, but seeing a statue of Peter and seeing many people making much of Peter, and it broke my heart. I'm sure it breaks God's heart because it's not about Peter, it's about Peter's God. It's about God working through that man. But this place known as Capernaum was a place that became the central of 
the, the ministry, the operation of the Lord's ministry while he was on this earth. It was on this particular day that we read here in Mark chapter number 2 that Jesus was in the house. That as he had come into this residence, this place, the Bible says that it was noised, word got out that Jesus was there. And there's always, as you see in most situations, people who are curious about the Lord and about uh, what he could do. And uh, many people just wanted to come because they wanted to see a show. They wanted to see him perform some sort of miracle. Uh, they weren't interested in believing that he was the Son of God. But Jesus was there, and the Bible says that there were so many people that no one else could get into the place. It was packed. I wish honestly, and I'm glad that you're here this morning, but I'll tell you this, God's desire is that his house would be full. It's always my prayer when I come on Sundays and Wednesdays that, that every seat would be full, not for number's sake, but because when people are here, they hear the Word of God, and I believe that the Word of God still changes lives. And so Jesus, the Word of God, was there in this house. And I think about what it was going on in these four men that brought their friend to Jesus, and I think that's probably one of the greatest achievements in life, not that we've got trophies and we've got maybe accolades about our lives and we've got... Uh, different things after our name of some accomplishment that we have earned through some sort of scholastic thing, not about the things that we amount in life. I think one of the greatest achievements in life is to bring someone to the Lord. And these four men, they brought this man that notice, first of all, we see the need of this man. The Bible says in verse number three that they came unto him bringing one sick of the palsy which was born of four. See, notice this man was without help. Palsy is a synonym of paralyzed. This man had a form of paralysis. This man could not walk. He was, because of his infirmity, or if you want to call it his deformity, this man was helpless. There was nothing he could do. This was a day that there was no wheelchairs, or he did not have, like some of our members have, these nice little scooters that are motorized that they could get around. Um, you know, you got to watch it around the church, because some of these people that are driving these things, I don't think they have a license to drive them, and so you might get your toes run over, and just be careful. But this man, he could not get to Jesus on his own. I see other situations in the Bible. One of those is in John 5, where it says, The impotent man answered, saying, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. This man was by the pool of Bethesda, and he was waiting as the angel would stir the waters, and he wanted to get in, but he couldn't do it before other people did. See, there are those in the world today that are helpless, but it's sad we live in a day that oftentimes the helpless are the ones that are forgotten by the world. This man was without help, but notice also he was without hope. I mean, he had a need that needed to be met, and we see other people in the Bible that they go to doctors and they go to all these people, and the Bible says that they spent all that they have, but they're none the better. The woman with the issue of blood. 
uh, she did not get any help from any of the physicians. This man, he had a need, and that need that he had, just like any need that you have in your life today, the only person that can meet that need is the Lord Jesus. And, and we see that this man in his state was without hope. The Bible says of all of us in Romans 5, 6, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Aren't you glad for what the Lord has done for us? You see, we had no hope either. We were like this man. Uh, we couldn't get to Jesus on our own. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none good. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But these four men, it's impressive because they knew about their friend, they knew about his need, and they cared enough about him. And the thought that crossed my mind is, all of us know someone. Do we care enough about them to bring those that are without help and those that are without hope to the one that can give them hope? to the one that can help them in their situation. I see the need of the man, but then I see the compassion of these friends. Folks, there's no doubt, and I tell people this often, that I really believe that this world could use a whole lot more kindness. I, I, honestly, I, there's so many people that just are not kind people. And these four friends, they thought about their friend that was paralyzed, that had palsy, that was without help, without hope. And because of their thinking about his situation, they were uneasy. They, they were concerned about this man. They heard that Jesus could heal this man. And one of the interesting things the Bible tells us is Jesus didn't always have to physically be there to heal someone. Can I tell you today that the Lord said that if two or three are gathered together in his name, that he has promised to be there. Amen. But certainly, listen, he's not here physically. But we understand that his word is all we need. The word of God can change our lives. The, the Bible records one of these instances in Matthew 8, 8, where the centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. I mean, even this centurion understood the value and the importance and the power of the word of God. And he said, just speak a word, and my servant shall be healed. See, when these four men thought about their friend, and they thought, we've got to get our friend to Jesus, it took something out of them. In other words, they had to expend themselves. You see these four men here, just a, just a visible picture to you and me this morning that someone had to grab a corner. Someone had to, to bear that weight. Somebody had to bear that load to get their friend to the Lord. J.C. Watts said, compassion cannot be measured in dollars and cents. It does come with a price tag. But the price tag is not the amount of money that we spend. The price tag is love. The price tag is love. I think all of us, like these four men, we need to get personally involved in people's lives. We need to be moved to action. Jesus said these words, peace be unto you. As my Father has sent me, even so 
send I you. He's sending us to others, to people we know, the people that we love. You see, these four that bore their friend, they loved him enough to carry him to Jesus. They were uneasy about his situation in life, but notice they were also unrelenting. These four individuals would not stop until they got their friend to Jesus. I love what the Bible says in verse 5 in our passage this morning. Here's what it says. Jesus saw their faith. You wonder what faith looks like. Because it was evident by their actions. They were unrelenting. And Jesus saw their actions, the compassion of these friends, and how they were not going to stop. You see, these four, they believed that if they could get their friend to Jesus, that he could do something for him. Do you believe that this morning? If you could get your friend to Jesus, that Jesus could help them? How many of you believe that? I believe that with all my heart. See, they didn't just, listen, they didn't just invite their friend. There he is, the sick of the palsy, laying there. He can't get up. He's paralyzed. Hey, listen, I want to invite you to Bible Baptist Church. Here's an invitation. I've done my duty. They didn't just invite him. They brought him. They picked him up. They carried him. I was reading uh, as I was spending some time this week thinking about how oftentimes in our lives as Christians that we are not as unrelenting as these men. Many times we we, we all invite someone, but we don't take action. Lifeway Research conducted a study last year, and they asked not people outside the church, they asked people inside the church, churchgoers. Here's what they asked them. Why don't you bring people to church with you? That was the question. Most of them, they said, wanted to, to they want people to have a relationship with Jesus. But one of the men that they asked, he said this, inviting people to church should be commonplace. Yet still, some churchgoers don't put much thought into inviting people to come to church. Listen to these statistics. Of those that they asked, 31% of them said, I don't know why I don't invite people to church. I just don't know why. How about this? 20% did say, I have invited people, but they refused my invitation. They continued the poll. 17% of them said, I don't know anyone to invite. 11% said that they are not comfortable asking people to come to church. And 4% said, inviting people is not my job. And you think about those statistics, what does the Bible say? The Lord said in Luke 14, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. The Lord says, look, I've given you a place to assemble. I've, I've promised you that I would be there with you. And folks, look, it's a wonderful thing when God's people get together to worship the Lord. But understand that the church is a hospital for the spiritually sin sick. It's a place where all of us can get the help that no doctor, no MD will ever do for us, only Dr. Jesus. And we need to get people to the house of God. In verse number four, the Bible says that they carried their friend. Now, you have to understand, 
they couldn't get into the house, right? So according to this passage, there had to be another way. Many people, after they realized we can't get in the house, it's too full, and they would just be turned away, they would just say, well, we, we tried. That's the best we could do. Not these guys. I wish I had a picture of what the situation was, because in the Holy Land, oftentimes the houses, the residences, they had flat roofs on them. You can see this in the Bible, even in the book of Acts, where Peter went up on the rooftop and he was praying to the Lord up on top of the roof. Many times they would have uh, gardens and certain types of things they would grow and they would put them up there to keep uh, animals and keep little kids and whatever away from them because there wasn't a place that they could go out and plant, maybe a little garden for themselves, for their family. And in order to get up to those rooftops, there was stairs that were constructed on the side of these houses that were really only about, in many cases, about that wide. And honestly, they were very dangerous. There was no railing, you know. My wife would have never gone up one of those. She looked at it and said, I'm not going up there, you know. I would have just walked right up it. But, but many times, that's what it looked like because it wasn't meant to be something you traveled every day to get up there. But when you needed to go up there, that's what it was. Well, here's the situation. These four men thought, we've got to get our friend to Jesus, but we can't do it in the house. Wait a minute. We can go up on the roof. And the Bible records that they carried him. So not only was it one of them going up, it was four of them, each one holding a corner as they somehow made their way up that staircase and they got up to the roof. And as they get up to the rooftop, the Bible records that they began to tear the roof off of the building. They began to tear the roof off. Here's a little picture of maybe what it would look like because back then they didn't have construction like we do now. Many times they would use straw and timber. Uh, they, they would use mud until it dries. That's what many of the roofs were. And you see here they begin to tear the roof off and understand that if you have material like that, all the people that are inside the house, all of that debris is falling in on them. Can you just hear all the people? What are those lunatics doing up there? Somebody got some rocks? Let's throw them at them. What are these crazy Baptists doing? You know? And so they're thinking about how can we get our friend to Jesus? They go up on the roof, they begin to tear the roof off, and then they lowered their friend down inside this house. Now remember, there's no room. That means somebody had to be inconvenienced. Somebody had to give up their seat. Somebody had to say, hey, listen, here's my Bible. Why don't you use my Bible since you don't have one? And so they, they, they tried to meet the needs. They tried to, in other words, what I'm saying to you this morning is they were not going to let one obstacle keep them from bringing their friend to Jesus. Why would they go through such lengths? I'll tell you why. Because they loved him too much. They cared about him too much. I think about David Livingston, one of the great pioneering missionaries of days gone by. And David Livingston was a studied man and, and God touched his heart about going deep into Africa with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Livingston, he wanted to go there and be a blessing and be all that he could be for God to help those people. And Livingston had somehow accumulated an entire library of books. Livingston began to pack all kinds of crates and boxes with these books and uh, he had a lot of folks that said, uh, Dr. Livingston will help you get to the interior and 
they, they all began to help him. They were carrying these boxes, and one by one, this journey was long. It was a hard journey, and, and, and little by little, because of the weight and because of all the difficulties that they encountered, uh, they had to start leaving things behind, and little by little, Livington just kept saying, well, look, leave that box of books here, and leave that book here, and leave that box of books there, and it's recorded in a true statement that when Livingston reached the interior of Africa, that he had one book in his possession, and it was the Bible. And Livingston said this, he said, these people must hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. You see, all those books, they might educate people, but there's only one book that's going to change a person's life, and that's the Word of God. Livingston understood that. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 11:4, He that observeth the wind shall not sow, and he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. In other words, those who look at the weather are those that make excuses. Why I can't bring someone? why I can't go up on the roof, why I can't tear the roof off and get my friend to Jesus. Those of us that make excuses, we will never see a harvest because we're making excuses. See, there's no excuse for not bringing someone to Jesus. Dr. Curtis Hudson years ago said the only alternative to soul winning is disobedience. Some people don't like that, but can I tell you that Jesus' last command should be our first priority? Before Jesus left this world, he said, go ye into all the world. The Bible says that as we go, Acts 28, 28, be it known unto you that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, listen, and they will hear it. Now, not everybody I talk to about the Lord says, hey, look, what must I do to be saved? Not everybody says that. Not everybody's willing to accept the gift of God. But I'll tell you this, I have seen some people who put their faith in Christ because we did go, we did take the message, and the gospel still works. People still can trust Christ as their Savior. The Bible says in Matthew 9, 37, Jesus said unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. People have said for years that 80% of the work of the church, the work of God, is being done by 20% of the people. Can you imagine what next Sunday would be like instead of 20% of us bringing somebody that 100% of us said, I'm going to bring a friend to Jesus. I'm going to bring a friend with me to the house of God. We ought to have the spirit of Isaiah where he said, when he heard the voice of the Lord, who shall I send and who will go for us? And then said I, here am I send me. Lord, send me to someone this week. May God send us to our friends. And listen, as God sends us, may we be willing to go to them. Nothing was going to stop these four men. They were going to do everything in their power to bring their friend to Jesus because they were relenting, because they loved him. And who is it this week that maybe God would send you to that you could invite them, that you could bring them to the Lord. See, we can't win them as we bring them. But I'll tell you this, that as we do bring them, Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men unto me. I don't think Peter, Simon Peter, 
ever forgot the one thing that his brother Andrew did for him. Because Andrew was the one that brought Peter to Christ. There would have never been a Peter without Andrew. I'm a living testimony this morning that I wouldn't be on my way to heaven had it not been for a personal soul winner. That personal soul winner is that beautiful little blonde sitting right over there. I, I, I was so thankful that she brought the gospel to me. And I wanted to show my appreciation, and so I asked her to marry me. <laughs> I got the best part of that deal. But you think about this. These four men, all they were doing was, i got to get my friend to Jesus. You know why? Because they believed Jesus could heal him. And I believe this morning that Jesus still can heal. And I believe he still can save. See, they were, they were uneasy about their friend. They were unrelenting in their, in their ability to get him to the Lord. But notice they also were united. They had a spirit of cooperation. I love what the Bible says in Philippians 1.27, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. It's all of us. Listen, folks, every last one of us, from the nursery workers to the greeters to the ushers to the choir members to, to every member of our church, all of us working together just like these four men to bring people into the kingdom of God. It took every one of them to grab a corner of that cot. Listen, it's all of us, we need to be inviting people and bringing people. I really believe that teamwork makes the dream work, that Jesus is the only one that can help people in their situation. You see, I see the need of this man. He needed the Lord. I see the compassion of these friends, how they were uneasy. They were concerned about their friend. They were unrelenting. They had to get him to Jesus, but their efforts were united. Can you imagine if one of those individuals would have dropped their corner? It would have been awful hard for those other three to continue. If two of them would have walked away, the other two might have continued, but it would have been a, that much more for them to carry. But all four of them, all four of them said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang on to my corner. And I'm going to get him to the one who can do something for him. And I want you to notice this morning, I see the power of the Savior in this passage. I see that because we understand that Jesus, the Son of God, he knows all things. Jesus knew this man's physical situation. He was paralyzed. He also knew this man's spiritual situation. Because the man, like all of us, was lost in his sin. But Jesus also knew the hearts of these four men. He knew the compassion that they had towards their friend. Look what it says in verse number 6. There were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, why reason ye these things, notice this, in your what? Hearts. They weren't saying it out loud. It was something they were reasoning, but yet he was God. He knew what, listen, he knew what this paralyzed man's physical situation was. He knew what his spiritual situation was. He knew what the situation in the heart's of the four men that went up on the roof and tore the roof off and let their friend down, but he also knew the situation in the hearts of those 
that were skeptic that were there that day. See, there's always going to be people that don't believe. There's always going to be people who say, you know, this Jesus, he's not what he's cracked up to be. I think the whole thing's a hoax. I don't believe that he's the son of God. But the Bible says, as Jesus knows everything, 1 Chronicles 28, the Lord searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. I'm here this morning to, to remind you that he knows all things, but notice, secondly, he heals all wrongs. Look what the Bible says as they were reasoning in their hearts. Look at verse number nine. He makes this statement. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise, take up thy bed and walk, but that ye may know the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose. Now, folks, when somebody gets saved, the miracle of the moment, they put their faith in Christ, you can't see that miracle take place because it took place in the heart. But someone that's paralyzed, somebody that can't get up, somebody that's helpless and hopeless, when that individual physically stands up on his own accord, takes his cot, his bed, that they were carrying him around in, and he walks away with it. You can see that. The Bible records they were amazed. We never saw it on this fashion. We've never seen a paralyzed person get up from paralysis and walk away. Now, Jesus heals all wrongs. Jesus kneels down to this man. You see him there in the illustration this morning on the screen, how Jesus kneels down to the sick of the palsy, and he does that with all those skeptics standing around. Every last one of them saying, listen, this is not possible. But yet Jesus showed that he had the power to heal all deformities. Look what the Bible says in Matthew 13, 15, Jesus records these words. He says, For this people's heart is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have they closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted. And I should heal them. I don't believe today in faith healers. But I do believe in a God who can heal. One of the neatest uh, titles that we have of God in the Old Testament is Jehovah Rapha. It means the God who heals. And we believe that God can heal and God can not only know all things, heal all wrongs, but then notice letter C, he forgives all sin. He forgives all sin. Again, notice what he says to this man, arise, take up thy bed, go thy way into thy house. But before he said that, he said, thy sins be forgiven thee. Thy sins. Psalm 130, verse 3, if thou, Lord, shouldest mark iniquities, O Lord, who, would, who shall stand? In other words, we're all guilty because of our sin, but there is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. See, he healed this man but he healed him physically so that the crowd that day and the skeptics that day 
would know that he not only can heal physically, but listen, if he can heal physically, he can heal spiritually. If God can raise that man from his paralysis, then certainly God has the power to save a lost soul. And we see that Jesus did these miracles, but he did those miracles not to be known as a miracle worker. He did it to validate who he is, that he is God in the flesh. They had it right in verse number seven where they stated this, who can forgive sins but God only? The answer to that question is yes. Only God can forgive sins. See, Jesus was there. He was God in the flesh. Can I tell you this morning, no church, no confessional, no priest, no ritual can save a person from their sins. Forgive them. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You think about what Jesus did for that day, for that man that day, what the Lord has done for us. Look at Romans chapter 3. The Bible says, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith, of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In other words, it's only Jesus that can forgive us of our sins. And the reason that we bring people to church and the reason that they carried their friend up that rooftop and tore the roof off and lowered their friend down, the reason that you need to have somebody here next week is because Jesus can touch their lives. He can forgive them of their sins. He can heal them as no one in this world can. The Bible says in Luke 23, Jesus on the cross said these words, Father, forgive them. He was hanging there between heaven and hell, bearing the weight of our sins on his shoulders. And what did he say? Forgive them. You see, Jesus came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. Can I tell you this morning, myself included, everyone that's ever been born, everyone needs forgiveness. Everyone needs forgiveness of sins because the Bible says all have sinned, every last one of us. So the question this morning is, who will you bring next week? Who will you bring the week after that? Who will you bring to Jesus? Are you going to be afraid to talk to someone this week? Will you be ashamed to mention to them the name of Jesus? The Bible says that we ought not to be ashamed of the Lord. Do you care about those that you know? Do you care enough like these four to do anything in your power to bring them to Jesus? We're giving you a couple little cookies that's not very unrelenting. You might think to yourself, that might be a good start. Maybe I need to add to that. Do something more. You should not stop until that person that you've invited, that person that you care about, you've brought them to the Lord.
Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Nothing has changed from this day in Capernaum. You see, the need of man is still the same. We need the Lord. Every last one of us. People need the Lord. The compassion of these friends, oh, that God would give us that spirit to be concerned about our friends, to stop at nothing to get them, and to be united in our efforts. And then I see the power. See, if we bring them to the Lord, Jesus will do the rest. The Lord will save them from their sins. He can heal them. I hope you believe that this morning. Let's stand to our feet.